This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. For more information, please visit patreon.com slash author Chris Lester. I strive to make this podcast a safe and inclusive place for my listeners. If I've missed any content warnings, please let me know. Content warnings for this episode include strong language, mature themes, and negative cultural values, including classism, patriarchy, homophobia, and kinkphobia. The views of the characters do not reflect the views of the author. You're listening to The Raven and the Writing Desk, the weekly podcast about the writings of Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. This is episode 359. Hey there, folks. Welcome to The Raven and the Writing Desk. I am Chris Lester, the creator of the Metamore City story universe. You can learn more about me and my work at chrislester.org and metamorecity.com. Each week, I bring you a piece of my fresh new fiction. I'll also tell you what's new with my life and my writing. So let's kick things off with this week's story. Today I'm bringing you Chapter 10 of Honor Reclaimed by L.C. Williams. If you're new to the show, go back to Episode 350 to hear this story from the beginning. The following recap will contain spoilers. After escaping from Lord Graham and Major Rutgers, Natasha found herself running through the halls of the tenement building with her hands bound behind her back. She received unexpected aid from Fernie, a prostitute whom Natasha had frequented back when she was a guard for House Hassan. Fernie freed Natasha's hands, and then they both laid low while two of Lord Graham's guards passed by in the hall outside. Fernie gave Natasha directions that would let her slip out of the building unseen, thanks to a secret door that led to the stables. Once outside, Natasha headed for Hassan Manor, intent on warning the Duke about House Drowling's mind-control plot. She spoke to her friend Irene, who was clearly afraid that Natasha had gone mad. At last, she agreed to let Natasha tell her story to Captain Hansen, a prospect that didn't give Natasha much hope, since he was the one who had fired Natasha in the first place. But Irene couldn't afford to stick her neck out for Natasha any more than that. If Hansen found out that Irene went behind his back to go to the Duke, he would fire her, too. Natasha understood this, even if she didn't like it. She did persuade Irene to do one other favor for her, to send a telegram to Noble Alex at House Townsend. The message was cryptic, but it echoed words that Alex themselves had said about House Drowling, that they had allegedly done horrible things during the war. Natasha hoped that reminding Alex of this, and telling them that the sinister reputation was deserved, would be enough to warn them of the danger, without tipping off any of Drowling's allies that might intercept the message. As she was led into Hassan Manor to see the captain of the guard, Natasha wasn't sure if she had done enough, or if she would be able to summon help in time. She put a hand in her pocket, where Honor's butterfly amulet still waited in its protective case. She sent her thoughts skyward like a prayer. Hold fast, my love. Remember who you are. Remember. 
Honor Reclaimed The House of Bellevue Book 3 By L.C. Williams Narrated by Vivian Ferrari Chapter 10 The Same as Us Natasha waited for Captain Hansen in his office for nearly an hour, while the pre-dawn light gradually gave way to morning. At last, the huge bear morph came in, with a mug of coffee and a scowl that did not quite hide the sleepiness in his eyes. He sat down behind his desk, took a long pull from the mug, then set it down and sighed. He leaned back in his chair and crossed his arms. All right, Volkova. Let's hear it. Carefully, like a soldier giving an after-action report, Natasha laid out the story of all that had happened the night before. She was necessarily vague about the source of the animosity between herself and Major Rutgers, but fortunately, that was beside the point. What was important for the moment was the retreat at House Drowling's chalet and what Lord Graham had let slip about what was to happen there. This was the part of the story that Hansen had the most trouble with. Assuming that this is all true, he said, in a tone that strongly implied it wasn't. Why would he confess something like that to you? Even if he thought no one would believe you, why take the risk? Natasha had considered that question for herself. There are two reasons, I think. One is that I believe he was drunk. I smelled wine on his breath, and he is known to drink too much. Perhaps he said more than he meant to say. Hansen made a vague gesture of allowance with one clawed hand. And the second reason? Natasha looked down at her hands in her lap. He wanted to hurt me, she said softly. He wanted me to know that the woman I loved was gone forever. Tears welled up in her eyes at the thought of this, and she wiped them away. The silence stretched between them, tense and heavy. Yashua, Yenlin, and Yusef, Hansen swore under his breath. You were fucking that Bellevue girl, weren't you? Natasha smiled bleakly up at him. There didn't seem to be any point in denying it. We have tried to be discreet. Hansen let out a choked laugh. He covered his face with both hands pressed finger pads against his furry temples like a man trying to ward off a headache. <laughs> I warned you about this, Volkova. Didn't I tell you that getting mixed up with noble ladies would get you into trouble? You did, Natasha admitted. You said they are like other species. She shook her head. But you were wrong, Captain. They are the same as us. They have the same needs, the same hopes. The same fears. We all want things we are told we cannot have. She shrugged. Lady Honor and I could give those things to each other. It did not matter that others would not understand. Captain Hansen held up a hand, wincing as if in actual pain. Volkova, for Eli's sake, stop saying things I can't unhear. He took a deep breath, let it out again. Look, for what it's worth, I don't think you're lying. But I think 
Maybe you're confused about what Lord Graham was trying to say to you. Isn't it more likely that your lady was going to be surrounded by older, more experienced women who would teach her what was expected of a woman of her station? Doesn't that make more sense than some crazy story about mind control? Natasha balled her hands into fists. Talking with old ladies would not make Honor want to suck on Nance Cree. Graham was very clear on this. Hansen flinched as if struck, and Natasha pressed on. Captain, if you heard men saying there was plan to kill Duke, you would warn him, duh? Even if you thought they were lying or mad, you would tell him. Because risk is too great if you are wrong. Hansen eyed her closely for a long moment, and she knew her words had struck home. But his ursine features were twisted up, like a man swallowing a bitter medicine. If we tell the Duke about this, you'll have to admit everything you've just told me. He could revoke her noble standing on the grounds that she's a deviant. The poor girl's reputation would be ruined. If she means as much to you as you say, you can't want that to happen. Natasha raised her chin to him. I do not want this, she said. But it is better to lose your reputation than to lose yourself. This I have learned very well. Slowly, Hansen nodded. I believe you have, he said, his voice low and thoughtful. A moment later, he pushed himself to his feet and stepped out from behind the desk. All right, Volkova, we'll do it your way. Follow me. They went up the servants' staircase and entered the rear suites of Hassan Manor. At the entrance to the Duke's private sitting room, Hansen went inside without her, leaving Natasha with the two guards at the door. She fell into a parade rest and tried to calm her racing heartbeat, expecting a long wait. To her surprise, Hansen opened the door again less than a minute later. He waved to her, urgently beckoning her inside. She stepped into a lavishly appointed room with thick carpets, floor-to-ceiling bookcases, sumptuous high-backed chairs, elegantly carved little side tables with electric reading lamps, and a large stone fireplace. Duke Thomas sat in one of the oversized chairs in front of the fire, already smartly dressed in a dark grey morning coat and striped trousers. His equine head was bent low in conversation with another, smaller figure in the adjacent chair— whom Natasha could not see much of from this angle. She caught a glimpse of a head of short, dark hair, saw the cuff of an army officer's dress uniform. A fresh wave of dread ran through her. Lord Cram got here before me, she thought. He has told the Duke I attacked him. But it was too late to run away. The Duke was already rising to his hooves, turning to face her. Miss Volkova, he said. Very good. We've been expecting you. Fighting down her fear, Natasha bowed to him from the waist. Your grace, she said. Duke Thomas nodded his massive head, then beckoned to her. Come in, please. The lieutenant here was just telling me all about your adventures last night. Natasha muttered an imprecation to the universe in general, and her own life in particular. Then she straightened and came forward, 
as her accuser rose from the chair and stepped into view, Natasha blinked in surprise. You! Noble Alex inclined their head to her in greeting. Their expression was grave. Hello, Natasha. I came as soon as I got your message. Their lip twitched, a smile without a shred of humor. I suppose I wasn't kept waiting as long as you were. Their eyes turned to Captain Hansen then, narrowing in silent judgment. Thank you, Captain. That will be all, Duke Thomas said. Yes, your grace. Hansen bowed and quickly saw himself out. I owe you an apology, Alex said when the bear morph had gone. The Duke has briefed me on more of the particulars surrounding Major Rutgers and his conduct. Natasha looked to the Duke in surprise. Sire? Duke Thomas shrugged one massive shoulder. I was never sworn to secrecy, he said. The military briefs me on any disciplinary matters that may affect the honor of the peerage. Lord Howard's conduct in Havane certainly qualified. He shook his head in apparent disgust and lowered his voice a little. I was content to let the matter rest. I had thought the man had learned his lesson— and in any case, his present condition made it quite impossible for him to prey on anyone else. But the capacity of some men for petty vengeance seems to have no limit. He turned back to Natasha, his big brown eyes softening. I am sorry, Miss Volkova, that you paid the price for my lenience. Natasha lowered her head, uncomfortable. The Duke was the reigning sovereign of Metamore, heir to a line seventeen centuries old. Only the immortal Majestrix was higher. For all she had said to Captain Hansen about the nobility being like everyone else, it still felt strange to have this man speak to her with such frankness and intimacy. Thank you, sire, she said, a bit stiffly. But I am not worried about myself. Lady Honor is in danger— and many others as well, I think. So we gathered from your message, Duke Thomas said. Please, tell us what you know, and we will see what we can do to help. Alex stepped back from their chair, beckoning Natasha to take it. As she did so, the androgyne laid a gentle hand on her shoulder, a gesture that said more than words ever could. Natasha reached up and covered their hand with her own, squeezed it, and nodded. The Duke took his seat again, and Alex pulled up another chair to make a circle. Speaking in a low voice, Natasha quickly briefed them on Lord Graham's confession, and her suspicions about what it meant. Alex added their own insights, gleaned from their mother's work on the succession bill, and Duke Thomas knew certain sensitive details of what the Drowlings had been up to during the war, and the magic they had mastered in service to those efforts. Over the course of the next hour, a plan began to take shape. We may have to call in a few favors, Duke Thomas warned. Titles notwithstanding, I can't just commandeer the necessary equipment. I have some ideas on where to start, Alex said. Could I use your telegraph, sire? Of course, the Duke said. He removed one of the rings from his left hand. Natasha saw it bore the signet of House Hassan. Have them send the messages under my seal, there's an arcane mark encoded on the ring that will transmit through the lines. 
I dare say you'll get a fast response that way. The ring looked huge and heavy in Alex's outstretched palm. The androgyne stared down at it in wonder for a moment, then seemed to shake themselves, their fingers closing tightly around it. Yes, sire. Thank you, sire. They bowed to the duke, then rushed out of the room without another word. When they were gone, Natasha turned back to Duke Thomas. Sire, thank you for helping. I know... I know that I was not very good guard. The duke waved a dismissive hand. He was watching the fire now, and Natasha saw the hint of a smile on his broad lips. Not every job is suited for every person, Miss Volkova. This is not a mark on your character. He glanced aside at her, just for a moment, then back at the fire. From what noble Alex told me, you seem to have found a place that suits you better. Natasha felt a heat growing in her cheeks, and she didn't think the fire was to blame for it. I... da, sire. I hope I will still have it when this is over. Duke Thomas nodded thoughtfully. Your Lady Honor means a great deal to you, doesn't she? A lump rose in Natasha's throat. Da, sire. They fell silent for a while, waiting for Alex to come back from the telegraph room, each watching the fire with their own thoughts. Natasha wondered how much Alex had told the Duke about the arrangement between them, Honor, and herself. Contrary to Captain Hansen's expectations, the Duke had never seemed to question Natasha's story, nor had she been compelled to explain why Lord Graham hated her. She wondered if she owed him that explanation— before he used his influence and station to help a trio of sexual deviants. At last, the Duke spoke again. Last winter, I was reading the diaries of Thomas V, he said, his tone pensive. Or Thomas the Great, as some call him. These were his private diaries, you understand, not the memoirs that were sanitized for public consumption. Natasha had no idea where the Duke was going with this, so she just nodded. I was reading about his courtship with Lady Alberta, who became Duchess for the last forty years of his reign, he said. I wanted to know what had made their relationship so successful. He paused again at this and turned to look at Natasha. Now, before she was raised to the nobility... Alberta was the mistress of the Duke's stables. It was said that she could tame any beast on four legs. Apparently that strength, that dominance, kindled something in Thomas, because once or twice a week he would sneak down to the stables after dark and change into his full horse form, and Alberta would fit him with a saddle, bit and bridle, and ride him around the city. Natasha felt her eyes go wide. Oh, quiet, she murmured. Duke Thomas smirked, apparently understanding the sentiment behind the word, if not its literal meaning. Yes, the most powerful man in Metamor, our greatest leader since Ovid the Conqueror, submitted himself to a woman, not even a lady, only gentry, and let her use him like a common beast. According to his diaries, he found it soothing. It helped him to forget the stresses of running the kingdom, which were many, especially in those days. 
even ten years later, after he and Alberta had long been married, I find references to her taking him riding in the back country. He shook his head in amazement, a distant smile on his face. They never told a soul about their arrangement, as far as I could tell. The kingdom would have been scandalized, but for them, it brought joy. Slowly, Natasha nodded. They were discreet, she said. They were, the duke agreed. And with that sort of discretion, the peerage can overlook much. He nodded in the direction of the door through which Alex had left. Even the Townsends are discreet in their own way. What goes on at the parties is an open secret, but they do not flaunt it in public. They have their circle of trusted friends, and within that circle, they can be themselves. But the rest of the world does not need to know the details. Natasha sighed. It would be better if people could be themselves always, she said. Secrets make trouble. Thomas let out a rueful chuckle. <laughs> I suspect you're right, Miss Volkova. We aren't there yet, as a society. But perhaps one day we will be. Until then, we live with the imperfect. He looked over at her again, his expression serious. This is my advice to you. Take care of your lady. Let each of you be what the other needs you to be. And find that circle of people you can trust with the truth. Natasha bowed her head. Thank you, sire. This seems wise. A fresh twinge of worry ran through her guts. I only hope this plan will work, that we are not too late. The duke reached across the space between them. His large, heavy hand rested on her shoulder with surprising gentleness. Have faith in Lady Honor, he said. I admit, I do not know her well, but I know her family. If she is anything like her parents, then she is made of sterner stuff than she knows. And that's the end of Chapter 10. Come back next time when we'll see how Honor is doing in her battle against Drowling's mind magic. Chapters of the House of Bellevue will be released at a rate of one chapter per week for 51 weeks. If you'd like to listen to it faster, all three books are available now on Amazon and Audible. To learn more about these characters and their world, please visit www. .authorlcwilliams.com Friedrich Nietzsche said, The author must keep his mouth shut when his work starts to speak. So, hand me that roll of duct tape, because it's time for the weekly writing report. This update covers the week of November 26th through December 2nd. I wrote 3,237 words this week, over the course of 3.75 hours, for an average writing speed of 863 words per hour. I wrote on four out of seven days this week. Looking back at the month of November, I wrote a total of 8,428 words in 15 days, averaging 562 words per day. That ranks 64th out of 91 months since I started this show. 
I spent 10.75 hours writing in November. Compared to October, my word count increased by 168%, and my writing time increased by 231%. This week was a crucial moment for me in my writing journey. For the first time since May of 2022, I did some actual fiction writing. Not story planning, not world building, not editing, but actual new storytelling. I added over 1,400 words to All the World of Fire, bringing the total manuscript up over 30,000 words. I'm currently in Chapter 11, and Kevin and Abby are visiting a parochial school to get more information about Emberlyn Hale, Kevin's new foster daughter. But Ember's school records provide more questions than answers. Why did her grades take a sudden nosedive two years ago, long before the accident that killed her family? What happened to Sister Julianne, the teacher who wrote such glowing reports about Ember during her first five years? Why did she suddenly leave teaching and transfer to a cloistered convent, and why won't the school administrators tell Kevin where she is? Perhaps most concerning of all, why does Abby feel a cloud of spiritual oppression hanging over the school grounds? Kevin and Abby are going to have to do some digging to find out what happened here, and how they can help Ember to move on. And now, the feedback. Chris, 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 we gotta talk about these cliffhangers. I love them, but I hate them. Been listening to your podcast since January of this year, and I gotta say, I love it. Just love the area, the way you're making the whole city itself come to life. It is amazing. Keep up the good work, please. I can't wait for you to get back to the main Metamore City storyline. Keep it on the bright side. Have a great day. Hey, thanks for the voicemail. It's been a while since I've gotten one of those, and it was great to hear your voice. I won't apologize for the cliffhangers. If they're making you excited to hear the next chapter, then I'm doing my job right. And if you absolutely cannot wait for next week's episode, you can always buy the audiobooks. I've greatly enjoyed fleshing out Metamore City's past in the honor books, but I do plan on getting back to the present day in Season 9. All the World of Fire isn't part of the main story arc, but it will give you a chance to catch up with the Summer Cell and their friends, and see what they've been up to in the years since making the cut. And I think that the world-building I'm doing in this story will also help me when I go back to writing about Jared Tamlin. Remember, when we last saw him, he was being taken in by the Metamore Hive. With Jared's powers coming into bloom, you know that things are going to get interesting. If you'd like to share your thoughts about the show, send your feedback in text or audio to metamorecityfeedback at gmail.com. To leave a voicemail, dial area code 641-715-3900, then enter extension 255-082, followed by the pound sign. My Facebook is facebook.com slash author Chris Lester, the fan group is fans of Metamore City on Facebook, and our Discord server is Metamore City. I'm there pretty often, so come say hi! If you like this show, please consider leaving a review at Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, or Podchaser.com. It really helps people find the show. 
That's all for this week. I'll be back next time with more fresh new fiction. Until then, keep it on the bright side. This is Chris Lester, signing out. The contents of this podcast are copyright 2022 by Chris Lester and Liminal Corvid Press. The show is released under a Creative Commons, Attribution, Non-Commercial, No Derivatives License. So don't change it, don't sell it, but feel free to share it all you like. For more information about this license, please visit creativecommons.org.